Welcome to This Week with Cal CISO, produced by the California Cybersecurity Information Sharing Organization. Now, for this week's episode, we turn to Matt Gardner in our Northern California studios. Once again, it's Matt Gardner with the California Technology Council. Thanks so much for joining us on This Week with Cal CISO. This week, we're talking with Paul Kurtz, the co-founder of TrueStar on AI and cybersecurity. Paul talks with us a lot about how he views AI driving better tools for cybersecurity. Before we get into that, just a few notes on things happening with Cal CISO. Our job board is currently chock full of opportunity. There are 9,900 jobs listed on the CTC job board. We encourage you to take a look. It's one of our most utilized tools by members. The calendar for April's full. If you're looking for a course in certification for SOC analysts, certified ethical hacking, our certified CISO course, or even our new thread of courses on artificial intelligence, the certified AI practitioner course, or even more, you can find information at californiatechnology.org events. Our calendar for April is just full of chances for you to take advantage of your next professional development opportunity. Of course, our member benefit programs have been a huge focus for us early this year so far, and we're very excited to share that there's even more as we launch this week an entire suite of new cybersecurity applications. Check out more at californiatechnology.org for information on Beagle Security, CloudFilt, iTheme Security, and more as we add to our suite of existing cybersecurity benefits from companies like Reprivita. And of course, our flagship member benefit, the California Threat Exchange, is free to join if you're a member. Looking for more information? We encourage you to learn more and find out how to join at californiatechnology.org slash membership overview. Now, let's turn to our This Week with Cal CISO episode with Paul Kurtz. This week on Cal CISO, we're going to be speaking with Paul Kurtz, a co-founder of TrueStar. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Matt, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Paul, can you tell our audience what TrueStar is and how it operates? Yeah, uh, TrueStar is an intelligence uh, management platform. And by intelligence, we mean uh, taking both your internal data that would come from your security tools like EDR and SIM and correlating that data with external threat intelligence, fusing it together, and rendering enriched knowledge back to our customers that can be fed in back into their tools. And I'm sure we'll talk a, a little bit more about exactly what we do and some of the challenges that are out there. But basically, Matt, we, um, we have an intelligence ma- management platform, and it's in the cloud. Uh, SaaS-based operation, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to build. So, Paul, one way that some people think of this is that cybersecurity is kind of an industry or a segment of the IT industry, but really you're a collection of tools that enable every industry. Isn't that a better way of looking at it? Well, I might flip that round just a little bit. Where I would start would be over the past 20 years or so in the cybersecurity industry writ large, uh, we've been building tool after tool uh, to address uh, real needs, 
you know, attacks coming in from adversaries and we need to modify those tools and, and or bring new tools into the marketplace. And, and really the, the market has responded uh, very well. But what we haven't done well is when we think of all those tools that we've deployed out there to defend enterprises, we haven't done a good job thinking about, um, well, what about all the alerts that these tools are throwing off or rendering that require analyst uh, action? And that's where we're really focusing, Matt. We want to make sure that all of those alerts that are coming from your internal systems and external s systems are being brought together and fused, enriched, and, and importantly, not to necessarily map, focus, have everybody focus on TrueStar per se, like a, uh, on our user interface, but see us as a place that you can just fuse the data together, get what you need out of all that data, and bring it back into the tool of choice, whether that's a case management system, uh, or it's a, a SIM you may be operating, or an orchestration platform. So there's, there's a lot we'll go through to take some of those topics further. But before we uh, sort of come back around to, you know, integrating systems and, and that view of an enterprise, let's talk about your partnership with the Cloud Security Alliance because it's led to some very interesting work. So can we start at the highest level, Paul? Can you tell our listeners about just in general terms the partnership you have with CSA? Yeah, well, uh, I'm a uh, founding board member of the Cloud Security Alliance and joined Jim Rivas and Dave Quillenane uh, over 11 years ago uh, when they first established the organization. And I've stayed very close um, with Jim and Dave over the past years and, and really with the belief that one way or another, uh, many of our operations were going to evolve into the cloud. And, and I'm not just talking about cybersecurity operations, I'm just talking about, you know, large IT operations would evolve into the cloud. And so their work is exceptionally important. Much of it is grassroots. Uh, in other words, they have chapters uh, around the world uh, that, you know, people are meeting in Israel, uh, you name the country, in Europe and Asia. <coughs> and there are practitioners, operators in the cloud space, or those who are trying to get their enterprise to move to the uh, cloud space, and you know they're coming together. And and CSA, for its part, recognizes that there's you know, some standardization that needs to be done. There are some issues that manifest themselves over time, and they're doing exceptionally good work in that space, largely under the leadership of um, of Jim Rivas. And of late. Um, I become more interested uh, in the issue of the cloud, or excuse me, the role of the cloud security reliance as it relates to intelligence per se. And I'm happy to un uh, unpack that a little here if you'd like. Do you want me to proceed on that, Matt, or you want to hold that for a question later? No, that's great, Paul. Please do. Yeah. So I think what we've been missing over the past um, 20 years, or, or maybe it's a misunderstanding, is that um, we are we become very focused on the in, the threat intelligence that is out there. There's lots of great vendors that are in the space that are churning out very valuable threat intelligence. Uh, I'm not going to name the vendors here, but every one of them is churning out good data. 
And, and the problem has become you've got all this threat intelligence and the threat intelligence marketplace really kind of took off around 2014. And all this data has been teed up to enterprises. And the challenge has been for enterprises is it's been a very hard for them to fuse that TI data with um, the alerts coming from their own internal systems. So say for their SIM or EDR or to use that TI data uh, and bring it in in a seamless way to a case management system or into an orchestration platform. And where we've, this disconnect in the space has led to really the creation of silos where you have, an, in, a, in many enterprises, you'll have a SOC team that's just looking at the data coming out of the internal tools. You'll have a threat intelligence team that is looking at uh, all the data coming in. And you get into this threat and tool um, tango going back and forth where humans are trying to put together a coherent picture uh, on the TI side. Sometimes that data is tossed over to the SOC side often the SOC can't really use it, and we end up with this disconnect. And so the Cloud Security Alliance, I gave a presentation to a CSA audience uh, earlier on in the year, kind of like right before COVID really took off. And, and what I put out on the table is that we should really recast and rethink uh, the meaning and definition of intelligence. And, and don't see intelligence as um, the work of threat actors or the, in, or the information about threat actor uh, tactics and, and procedures and the like, but rather step back and look at uh, the other definition of intelligence. And the other definition of intelligence is the ability to reason and infer and, and, and get to you know, recommending uh, various actions. And so, when we think about the application of the cloud, the cloud becomes immensely powerful because, if, Matt, if you can take the, the threat intelligence data and you can fuse it with the data from internal tools, the alerts coming off of internal tools, you can be, begin to build what um, the language of CSA has talked about here is, if you will, a cyber memory. Uh, building a reservoir of information about past events that have occurred inside your enterprise. And if you want uh, some interesting reading, I would, I would highly recommend uh, to your audience that they read um, T-AI uh, by Michael Kanan. And, and it's, it's a fascinating read about, you know, we, we, when we sit back, Matt, and think about this in the security space, we've been just um, we've been playing whack-a-mole for 20 years, and we're not storing and understanding and, and drawing inferences from what we're what we've been learning over time inside the enterprise or between enterprises. So the Cloud Security Alliance in this paper that they've um, if they've just had it out for public comment and it, the period is just closed. Um, it talks about recasting the meaning of intelligence and then pushing forward into, well, just what exactly can we if, we, if we buy the new meaning of intelligence, how does that enable moving to a data-centric um, data security model, where rather than focusing on all the tools, we're focusing on the data coming from those tools and making the most of that data. So you, you mentioned a few topics there, Paul, can we go back to some assumptions? This 
this uh, sort of uh, paper that's, uh, that you've done with CSA uh, mentions a lot of core concepts. Um, one, of the, one of the core concepts about the shape of these systems is that they're increasingly, as you said in your earlier comment, entirely cloud-based ecosystems and, and you know, enterprises may be dealing with multiples of those in different parts of their business. Um, can you paint a picture of what that ecosystem is like and, and how is it different for you know, a mid-cap growing company versus a large cap that's kind of got a mature supply chain and HR system and, and those kinds of things? Yeah, let, let me um, walk through that in a little bit more detail. So the typical mid-sized enterprise uh, would be either running their own SIM, uh, their own EDR, and their own case management system, or they might be leaning on a managed security service provider um, to provide those kind of uh, capabilities and services to them. And so there's a, if you will, Matt, a tool dependency. Leave the cloud out of it for now. And just recognize that for the past 20 years, we've become very tool dependent. Um, there's a tool for this problem, a tool for that problem. All these tools are throwing off um, uh, data alerts uh, that need to be looked at. And for operators uh, inside of an enterprise, or for that matter, inside of a managed security service operation, uh, who is, you know, if you will, the um, uh, you know, outsourced uh, capability to look at this data, um, there is a significant amount of alert fatigue. And the volume of data that is coming out of all of these tools is becoming overwhelming. And this is one of the reasons why we have um, um, real challenges on the personnel side in <coughs> hiring enough people to keep up with the problem, which flat out we will not be able to keep up with if we keep on doing the same thing. So the idea here, Matt, is that if you are leveraging um, uh, these security tools, you need to be able to begin to create a, um, a repository of what all those alerts are and to fuse them over time. And the place that it's most effective to do that is in the cloud uh, rather than doing it on-prem. And the perfect example as to why you don't necessarily want to try to do this on-prem is COVID-19. And with COVID-19, uh, we saw companies that were highly dependent upon people operating in the SOC and a TI team that was you know, uh, close by inside the physical premises of a headquarters or uh, wherever it might be their, their, their security operation. Now all those people have been dispersed. And if you're relying upon a tool that retire, requires a lot of care and feeding, uh, and you can't get into your headquarters, that's a big problem. And so we've had, we've seen a lot of uh, activity of people migrating into the cloud far more rapidly because, in fact, you can control the assets from virtually wherever you are. Um, you can do it from home, you can do it from the office, you can do it from some point in between. Uh, and, and so I don't want to leave the audience with the impression that there are all these, you know, ad hoc uh, 
um, cloud-based ecosystems out there. What we are arguing in the CSA paper is that it is really important for us to redefine uh, what intelligence is in cybersecurity, move away from a tool-specific or tool-centric approach into a more data-driven approach, a data-centric approach, and assimilate that data and, and with the belief that the assimilation of that data should take place in the cloud for a variety of reasons, not just because of COVID, but because of the advantages you would have in the application of machine learning, eventually AI, and the possibility of working with other organizations and sharing data with other organizations. Hi, this is Ray Bardis of TrueStar, the official cybersecurity information sharing partner of the California Technology Council, and you're listening to This Week with CalCISO. So one of the uh, concepts that you mentioned uh, a minute ago is the data-centric security model, and I want to ask you a little bit more about that in follow-up. I, I wonder if you can explain for uh, the cybersecurity novice, perhaps, why this isn't just about you know, security breach alerts, that there are, you know, lots of ways to have those kinds of notices and indicators pop up for, you know, a company with large infrastructure. But well, there are also all kinds of other signals in, you know, the traffic of a healthcare organization or an automotive platform or a city that has traffic data where an outlier can be spotted if the system is trained to look for it or pattern recognition gets broken. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, rethinking the, the data-centric model and, and including uh, as much as we can in that? Well, one of the, I think if you, looking back 20 years, uh, it was a fairly simple um, uh, approach where people thought, well, well, you know, if you're, you're running a tool and the tool says there is a breach, then you follow up on the breach and, you know, you get to the bottom of it and you move on to the next problem. And, and But the volume of activity has overwhelmed us in the ways in which we can be attacked and the vulnerabilities that can be exploited have uh, exploded. And so when you look, when you look at what a lot of the tools in the space do now, Matt, it is not telling you that you've had a breach. It's not a black and white question. It's more of an INW indications and warning um, notice. There is an indication that something is different than the norm, or there's a warning that something's happening that shouldn't be happening. And that INW data, uh, to you can kind of use a, a terminology from the intelligence world, it's taking that INW data and merging it with other data to affirm whether or not uh, an event is underway, is about to occur, or has occurred. And, and it, it, going back to the volume question, Matt, what's happened, you know, is, you know, with our dependence upon IT for running our economy and virtually every infrastructure we have, uh, the volume has just become too vast. And so now we, despite all, we've built all these tools to try to keep us secure with the best of intentions, but the, the data coming from all those tools that have been developed with the best of intentions is overwhelming the system. And the system is just drowning. And so that's why we get back to this data-centric model and saying, time out, 
let's look at the data that's coming out from all these tools and let's work on normalizing the data and transforming it so all of these basic tools and platforms can talk to each other. And so you get a far more strategic picture of what's going on. So if I go back in time to why I even started this company to begin with, was uh, my work uh, at the White House prior to 9-11. My job was to get the interagency intelligence uh, organizations, whether it's CIA, NSA, DIA, um, uh, State Department, Treasury, you name it, um, to pool the insights that they had, the INW, the indications and warnings and the threat data, they had to pool it effectively so we could get a coherent picture of what was going on with Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda. And we know what happened. We failed and we failed miserably. And we failed in many, in many ways because, well, there was a desire, there was kind of like those institutional problems, but there was also technical problems. There was data in, sitting in various reservoirs and various databases around the FBI that wasn't effectively merged. Well, Matt, fast forward in time to where we are today in cybersecurity, I'd like to say it's a much better, we've learned a lot, and it's a lot of, much better picture for cyber. It's really not. Um, it's it's a it's a very complicated picture. We've we've keep on developing tool after tool to try to defend ourselves or an incrementally more effective tool, obviously with the best of intentions. But all these tools, Matt, are throwing out uh, alerts that need to be dealt with by humans, and so we have to get to a space where we can integrate and automate, and that's where we really get into this data centric approach, making sure whatever data we get, we can maximize its use and uh, fuse it together and get it back into these very tools we purchase. It's not to abandon the tools, it's to make all of these tools collectively far more effective because they had the benefit of understanding what the right hand and left hand are up to. So Paul, I think one of the, obviously the huge challenges here is that uh, FinTech as an example operates vastly differently than healthcare. So, um, can you give a sense of why it has, as an industry on the whole, why have we been so um, so late to, to put these tools together or combine uh, a picture of security within the intel that you spoke of earlier? And are, there, are the issues the same from one industry to the other? Maybe you could touch on some of the work you're doing today because you're across all these industries and see it you know, and can appreciate the differences yeah. from one industry yeah. to the other. Well, look, I, there's no way I would sit here and say every industry is the same and they're all experiencing the same type of problems. Um, in other words, the, the avenues of attack, the, the vectors of attack, there are differences between finance and health and transportation, uh, retail, hospitality, you know, you think just of, you know, um, uh, the, uh, um, oh, the uh, uh, frequent customer cards, and for lack of a better description right now. Um, there's just a host of ways that um, various industries are getting attacked. But what is common is that most of these industries are using many of the same tools to defend themselves. Um, and the output from all of those tools does need to be uh, fused together. And uh, and the enriched data 
needs to be readily actionable or triaged for for action. So while we um, look at uh, uh, and we look at the uh, finance sector or health sector or retail sector or the IT sector on down the line, uh, we just in fact uh, brought uh, many of those sectors together for a, a sharing summit uh, recently. And, and we had, we kind of went around the group and we had members of uh, each organization share a use case or two. What, what was a sharing challenge for them? What was, what, was a, what was a data integration problem for them? And, and, and they, they, were all, they were unique problems, Matt. But the, the, at the end of the day, the problem has come down to, it's like, okay, I got all these tools. I might have a unique vector of attack. But the, at the nub of it is the normalization of the data. It's the normalization of all the data coming from all these tools. And, and enriching that data and rolling it back up into your tool of your choice um, and being able to effectively um, defend yourselves uh, better. So for, for example, if you're running an EDR and an EDR um, has uh, uh, an alert, that alert needs to be automatically fused um, with uh, threat intel. And well, so what if you have multiple sources of threat intel and those multiple sources of threat intel may give you different score on the value of or the importance of the intel. What do you do there? Well, what has happened, Matt, is that's usually done by a human. And meanwhile, the adversary moves on. And, and so we have, to, we have to take, normalize all that and normalize the info from the EDR, normalize and, uh, the data from uh, the threat intel, put it all together, and tee it up for, for action um, uh, by you know, back into the EDR or a SIM or onto an analyst to take a look at. One of the things that we talk about in the Cloud Security Alliance paper at, at, at length is uh, looking outside of cyber and asking ourselves, well, is there another industry that may have a model that we could look at that would help us unpack this problem and make it easier for people to yeah, unpacking their head and say, oh yeah. Well, what we, what we looked at was the autonomous uh, vehicle industry. And if you pull up schematics, and you can look on Google, uh, there's lots of schematics out, out there as to how the autonomous vehicle industry has um, divided up the, the, the functionality of the problem. And Matt, it's really simple. They look at all the, uh, they look at since understand act, they divided the problem into three categories, sense, understand, act. And the sensors are those things on the car that is telling you um, obviously how fast you're going, um, uh, things behind you, things in front of you, um, uh, weather, surface of the road, uh, objects that are coming towards you, how fast they're moving towards you, objects that it might be, you know, you might be drifting from side to side. You get the idea. All these sensors are deployed around your car. And what needs to happen next is all that data needs to be normalized. <laughs> There's not a, it needs to be normalized and brought together and understood. And then there, there needs to be action, sense, understand, act. And the action is the computers taking an action in order to steer you the right way or to slow down or stop the car. Uh, or 
um, the, they're throwing the ball, so to speak, the computer's throwing the ball to, um, to the driver to take action. Well, when we've sent this paper around to a lot of security guys who have been in this industry for ages, longer than me, they've looked at the sense, understand, act model and gone, wow, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Maybe we really should start to see the world in a sense, understand, act for security. So we see all of these, rather than differentiating between internal and external sources, just see all of that as sensor data. And that we need to understand that sensor data. Um, and we need to rely upon uh, computers to integrate and automate that understanding. And then we tee it up uh, for the, the computer to go ahead and update um, the defense system, whether it's a SIM or EDR, or you're throwing it to the analyst. But when the analyst gets it, they're getting a body of data that is triaged already. And they're not trying to go from tool to tool to figure it out. And I, I think this is the journey that we're on. And this is where, this is where I'm being you know, really strident in saying we cannot continue to do the same things we've been doing for the past 20 years. We can't be you know, tool-driven. We have to become more data-centric and adopt the model like we have in the autonomous vehicle industry, which is really focused on sense, understand, act. And once we do that, I think we can far more effectively um, defend ourselves going forward rather than, uh, I've got to build a tool for that. Paul, one thing that we ask everybody who's come on is about the human interface. So before we sort of take next steps in this conversation, let me ask you to go back to that sort of framework of thinking, sense, understand, act, and that's an excellent analogy from autonomous transportation. In that act step, uh, in every industry that, that we've explored, we've found that that act step is vastly different based on risk and assessment. How much should we be expecting the process in place in the act step to involve human interface? And how much do we trust the system uh, you know, for, for AI to be put to work there? And obviously trust is in the company name, so you've thought about this. Yeah, there's uh, um, actually a, um, an article that was shared uh, with me by a friend um, uh, that was looking at, you know, if you will, the power of AI and, and how helpful it could be but then I saw another article just today, Matt, which talked about AI, and uh, we need a, a, it's too black box-ish, and we need to understand more um, uh, about you know, what is actually happening behind the scenes with AI. If we set aside AI for uh, a minute here, I'd far rather focus on machine learning, and I do think there's a big difference between the two. One certainly leads to the other. But with, when we go to the sense, understand, act model, um, the understand mode here is when you are taking in all the sensor data, which is data about your environment, whether it's your internal sensors or your uh, external sensors, um, and you begin to build that repository of knowledge that can be, um, if you will, positively affirmed, then you can begin to apply machine learning uh, in ontologies like attack. Uh, far more readily, so you can you know label data, understand data, train the models so they get smarter and smarter and smarter over time. And I, I do think that uh, you know, we can we don't we're not going from zero to one over overnight, Matt. 
we're going from like zero to you know you know point one you know um, point one point two point three you know all the way all the way up until we get to uh, a really good place. I do think we ought to um, step carefully as we go forward uh, and begin to uh, assimilate the data. But I'm not suggesting I'm jumping in, in an autonomous vehicle. And by using that analogy, I'm not suggesting that we, we jump to AI-driven um, security. I am suggesting that it is data-driven security rather than, if you will, tool-driven security, that we're going to focus on um, how do we process all of this data to make it meaningful for either computers to take action or for humans to take action. And we spend a fair amount of time looking at just, for example, to make it, uh, make it real, phishing. Um, most enterprises are dealing with lots of phishing alerts. They, they, they may have an email uh, security gateway deployed. And, and they're still with that email security gateway. And the you know, vast majority of them do a great job. But there's going to still be somebody in the enterprise who gets something weird looking and they forward it onto the sock for somebody to look at. Well, those things accumulate, and they're not insignificant to, to look at, and the work can be quite tedious. Well, how do you take all of those suspect phishing attacks and, and aggregate them, understand them, and pull them apart, so to speak, and see if there's any other data that is relevant? Well, that's a really tedious task for an analyst. That should, Matt, that should all be automated, and it can be automated. You know, you can, you can um, you can normalize the whatever the email that came in. You can uh, correlate it with any other threat intel. And even if it's different sources of threat intel, some may say this is really a big problem. Others may say it's not such a problem. That can all be teed up for an analyst to look at. And so that gets us at this user interface question of how much of this is going to rest upon Jimmy or Susie you know, looking at the user interface and deciding what to do. I think our view of the world is that um, uh, there has been way too much focus on trying to develop the user interface for everybody. Um, and that, that seems a little bit wrong-headed uh, when a lot of enterprises have made significant investments in, in the user base of like, you know, say for example, Splunk Phantom or, or Demisto or uh, you name the security tool, they've all got user interfaces or a case management system. Our view of the world is let's just be in the, in the data-driven, the data-centric model. You want to be able to bring that data, data together, fuse it as effectively as you can, and tee it back up into whatever security tools um, an enterprise is operating so that the operators are not jumping from pain to pain, you know, user interface to universe interface to user interface. They can look at, if they're a Splunk ES user, they can look at Splunk ES, and they can see all that data queued up behind um, through Splunk ES, so that tool toggling back and forth uh, doesn't, doesn't occur. And that's, it's like this, uh, if you look at the SOAR laydown that Gartner's put out, which in one way makes a heck of a lot of sense. You know, you got all these various tools out there, but where, what's missing, Matt, is what about the data? All the data from all these tools, and so we're very much focused on the data processing side, uh, the data workflow, 
and how it moves through and how it's keyed up to whatever tool you may be using and making sure it's the absolute best data um, you can render from whatever, in, whatever tools you are operating. Hello, my name is George Nichetti with Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. We're proud to partner with the California Technology Council as the exclusive provider of retirement plans as a member benefit. For more information, visit www.californiatechnology.org slash member benefits. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate the, the deeper look into those questions. I, it's in the white paper. So the, the paper calls out the need to develop cyber memory. Can you describe and why is it important? Yeah, so cyber memory, you know, we touched on this a little bit. Um, when you take all the EDR data or, or SIM data uh, or even case management tickets, um, whatever they might be, um, what we haven't been doing over time is, is taking all those alerts and tickets and, and, and maintaining a repository of them so you can look back of what's actually happened to you, happened to you in the past. There are many, many uh, um, enterprises now that are kind of battling, you know, you get an analyst that comes in, an alert comes up, and uh, you know you got an analyst is doing their job, and they create a ticket, or a ticket is created automatically. They investigate it, they close the ticket, and they move on. And then three weeks later, something similar happens, and another analyst comes in and creates another ticket. And those two pieces are not put together. Those two tickets are not put together. That's silly. And so we need to make sure that as we as we have events that occur we continue to, um, uh, um, if you will, place those in a historical file, uh, a repository, if you will, that we can point to uh, back in time. So it's just, it's just like, Matt, say you're walking down the street and, and you pass by uh, a, a food store and there is, uh, there is you know, the smell of something and you smell that and it takes you back in time and like you know to when you were 10 years old and you were standing on the boardwalk uh somewhere and it was your favorite kind of caramel popcorn um and it, there's pointers in your brain to take you back and remind you of that but we're not doing that in cyberspace today we are not able to create we're not creating that repository of past events and able to point back at them quickly so we can say wait a minute We've seen this before, and, it's, and it can't be up to an analyst to rifle back through the ages. It, it has to be automated. It has to be you know, leveraging the cloud, leveraging the capabilities that are out there in order to point back and say, wait a minute, we saw something like this a couple months ago, and now the tactic has evolved a bit, and now it relates to this and that, and we get a far more strategic picture, and we remind ourselves, we use the computers uh, to remind ourselves of what's happened in the past. And so that is, if you will, be, uh, if you will becoming you know, uh, the, 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 the cyber memory uh, that is uh, so, so important for us to move forward in a far more effective manner than we are today. You're sort of describing what a, a big consulting firm would do with a knowledge universe, right? So that the, the institutional memory stays with the organization. And it sounds like that's one of the many ways that the cloud 
should be uh, important uh, to this kind of reframing of the of the security conversation. Uh, if you were to go back up to 10,000 feet or the 30,000 foot view, so to speak, uh, what, what are the sort of most fundamental concepts about sort of rethinking this in the sense of the cloud being central to the security process? Well, I, I think that if we were in the absence of the cloud, um, Matt, we would be trying to do all of this on-prem, uh, maintaining all that IT hardware and software, trying to update it, having our people um, you know, be on-prem as well to do the carrying feeding for all those IT processes, or all that hardware software, excuse me, and to do all the analysis. And it would be, if you will, untenable. And so the cloud enables us um, to operate at scale and operate far more quickly with uh, especially some of the cloud-based computation capabilities that are out there today that many, um, many organizations are using. And I think the, 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 security, fo the security business or the cybersecurity uh, business could use the cloud far more effectively. I think this is the beginning of it. Um, it's not to say that there, there are not vendors that haven't been in the space for some time using the, using the cloud, but they're, so to speak, using the cloud um, for those um, point solutions. Um, our argument is to say those point solutions are awesome, uh, but how about we use the cloud to aggregate all the, um, the alerts uh, that are, are are coming from those point solutions as well as the threat intelligence, and that is the most effective way to do it. And when you when you when you extrapolate out, Matt, it is also um, the, the the age of each enterprise fighting a problem or problems on their own um, without being able to coordinate with others. Uh, I think those days are really coming to an end. The really good news is we're actually starting to see enterprises really work together and share um, significant information about suspicious events. And I'm using suspicious here very deliberately. It means that they've identified something that looks weird. They're not affirming a breach. They're not affirming that their, their systems have necessarily been shut down. They're just saying something's happening on my network that doesn't look right, and they're starting to share it with others. And that's precisely what needs to happen, because when it gets over the edge and you actually have a breach, then it's far more difficult to have that type of information shared. It's far more difficult to, um, uh, to act. And we just had this sharing summit uh, three weeks ago, and it was fantastic to see uh, everybody stepping up and talking more openly about their use cases and where it would be good to share certain types of data and how you could do that but do so securely um, and have the appropriate um, permissions-based access. And all of that is in the realm of the doable now. Well, that concludes this week with Cal CISO with Paul Kurtz. On our next episode, we continue the series with TrueStar, exploring more issues with Patrick Coughlin TrueStar's CEO. We'll look forward to speaking with you next time. In the meantime, we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for a series or for questions or topics that you'd like to hear on a podcast with CTC, email us at podcast at californiatechnology.org. We'll speak to you next time on This Week with Cal CISO.